as you go. Welcome to 2023 at the Hendersonville Church of Christ. Uh, This is our theme for this year. And you'll see here in a few moments where it comes from. You'll see kind of where we're going, and I hope you'll get excited about it. But let me begin by simply asking you a question. Are you going to make any this year? I mean, are New Year's resolutions a part of your life? Now, I know where a lot of you are. I know where you've been. And if you were to make a New Year's resolution, you'd be number one on the list, right? Quit making New Year's resolutions. They're discouraging. You, you know, you get to the end of the year and you still haven't met them. And oftentimes, that's the case. Uh, June and I have for years on New Year's Day, we'll not do it today, we'll probably do it tomorrow uh, because of how it's fallen this year, but, but we like to go out, sit down, we have all the New Year's resolutions we failed to keep for the last several years, and we just kind of look back over the previous year. We make goals personally, we make goals spiritually, we make goals financially, we talk about what we want to improve at the house, and usually we simply carry them over to the next year, at least some of them. We'll check one or two off, maybe a few more than that. But we like to make New Year's resolutions. Uh, Now, here's what's fascinating about that. I I just hopped online and I said, the benefits of New Year's resolution. And and Forbes.com said that there were four things that happens when you make New Year's resolutions. And I thought they were incredibly helpful. So let me share these with you very quickly. Number one is intention. You're going to hear that a lot this year. But here's what Forbes said. Being honest with yourself about your current condition and the distance to your preferred situation is key to improvement. In other words, here's where I am. Here's where I would like to go. Now, how do I get there? And being intentional about how you want to grow and develop will help you achieve results. This intentionality, again very important word, will also contribute to your happiness and fulfillment. Now, obviously, if you don't make it, you're like, ah, you know, I wish I would have gotten there. But boy, just the intention itself that I intend to do something different this year to get where God wants me to be. Number two is hope and encouragement. And I don't know about you, but I need that. I need hope and encouragement. Making New Year's resolutions is inherently hopeful and optimistic. You expect things can get better for you, for your work experience, for your community. This positive view of the future in turn tends to motivate action. If you don't believe tomorrow can be better, you're unlikely to take steps to improve yourself or your community. I don't know about you, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful about this year. I'm hopeful about this church. I'm hopeful about our community. I'm hopeful about my family. I mean, those are things that June and I both are like, yes, we want to be hopeful. We want to, you know, be engaged in what's going on. And so hope and engagement. Number three is responsibility. This is the hardest one, without a doubt. Most juniors' resolutions impact others. In other words, when you decide to change... You change those around you. How many of you, just out of curiosity, watched this wonderful life this last December? 
I was going to say this year, but it's not this year, it's last year, right? Several of you did. You know, in, in, in that movie, it's, it's all about, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character as, you know, he's, he's, he, he wished he had not been born. And Clarence the Angel says, okay, I'm going to grant you your wish. And then, of course, everything changes, and, and, and the character there sees everything that, wow, wouldn't have happened if he had not been born. All of us have a bigger impact than we realize. Notice. Even if there are about individual self-improvements, they affect our families, our friends, our colleagues. Your resolution to get healthy will keep you around longer for family and friends. June's constantly telling me that. You know, I want you around a long time. And I'm like, why? And she's like, I just do. I'm like, okay. And she said, you know, you'll get healthier. It'll help with that. Your resolution to stop procrastinating. Boy, John Mike, I need that one, don't I? I mean, procrastination is one of my problems. Will contribute to a positive team dynamic with your coworkers, and your plans to do more volunteer work at the community garden, or just fill in the blank, the the houseless center, right, Stan? I mean, helping with those who have nowhere to live. Now, some of you are saying, "I thought they're homeless." No, they have a home. They just don't have a house, and that's one of the things we like to say. Whatever it is, to help our community. And then number four, inspiration. Oh, this is also huge. When you seek to be better, do better, or contribute more fully, fully, you tend to inspire others as well. We're going to talk about that here more in just a few moments. But boy, this inspiration is so important. The primary way people learn is through experiencing the behavior of others. Even if they're not consciously aware of it, people pick up on choices and cues from others constantly. When you focus on the future and focus on improvement, you necessarily inspire those around you. And I don't know about you, but I need inspiring. I need people who are are constantly saying, you know what, we can be better. And I pick up on that energy and it helps me to want to do better as well. We as a church need that. What if the church made some New Year's resolutions? What if this church made some New Year's resolutions. And and in asking that question, I want us to go back and just kind of look at those four characteristics and see how they would play out in the Hendersonville Church of Christ in 2023 if we did it. Number one, intention. Being honest with yourself about your current condition. That's hard to do in Christianity. Because if you'll just pause for a few moments and look at Christianity, and and I'm speaking here in the broadest sense there is. Y'all, it doesn't look good. I mean, here is what Pew Research said literally four months ago. Okay? On September the 13th, 2022, Pew Research says since the 1990s, large number of Americans have left Christianity to join the growing ranks of U.S. adults who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. This accelerating trend is reshaping the U.S. religious landscape, leading many people to wonder what the future of religion in America might look like. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that. We see it all around us. Things that you wouldn't have seen you know, 30, 40 years ago, you see today. 
I had an opportunity. I had a cousin in town this last week, and he called me up the last moment, and he said, listen, my, my wife's not feeling well. We've got two tickets to the Titans-Dallas game. Would you like to go? And, and even though I had family in, I told June I didn't want my cousin going by himself. You know, he, he, he lives down in Mississippi, doesn't know Nashville real well. And so I said, yes, I'll go with you. I got home and June said, how'd the game go? And I said, well, with the exception of the Titans losing, of course, and with the exception of spending time with my cousin, which I really enjoyed, the guy who was drunk right beside me, who cursed the entire game, really kind of made for a bad evening. I mean, I walked up, and just as soon as I walked up, first of all, he's sitting in my seat. And I said, uh, I think you're sitting in my seat. And he began cursing. And he said, at least I dried it off for you. And I'm like, well, thank you. And he sat down, and, and I thanked him for drying it off, and then it just began. I mean, you could tell by the moment we sat down, he had already been drinking, and boy, he was ready to go. And, and it, was, it was awful. Awfulest language throughout the entire game. I mean, I, I sat there, and, and he said, at least for drying my seat off, you ought to buy me a beer. And I'm thinking, no, I don't think you need anything else to drink. That's the world we live in. We, we live in a world that's changing dramatically. Now, some of you are saying, Les, we had that 30, 40 years ago. I know we did. But I don't know we had it that in your face back then. We live in a very different world. It goes on to say this. The center estimates that in 2020, this was three years ago now, okay, about 64% of Americans, including children, identified as Christian. Now, these are not people who are dedicated to Christ. These are not people who go to church all the time. These are just people on a survey said, if you had to pick a religion, what would you pick? Only 64% of Americans now say, I would pick Christianity. I want you to let that sink in. 6% are, are you know, Jews or Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists. And, and by 2020, 30% of all Americans now say, I'm nothing or nuns. N-O-N-E-S has kind of become the title for them. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a dramatically changing landscape. I mean, those of us who preach, we get together and we talk about it, and, and we realize that this secularization, because that's what's going on. Our culture is following Europe. Europe has totally secularized. And, and America is very quickly following that, where people are like, I'm not interested in religion, period. Don't talk to me about faith. Don't talk to me about religion. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And that pres uh, presents us with a challenging and yet uh, opportunistic landscape. Now, let's get a little bit more personal. What about churches of Christ? Now, you've got to be older to be able to participate in this. And so if some of y'all are younger, you'll go, you know, Hendersonville's the only church I've ever been a part of. You can actually do it here in Hendersonville. But let's just think for a moment. For all of us who have been part of churches over the last 20, 30 years, can I ask you a question? Is the church better off size-wise? And I know not everything is determined by size, and I'm not trying to say that. But I want us to look at just the obvious. The church you grew up in, in East Nashville. The church you grew up in, North Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky. The church you grew up in, Gulletsville, Madison, 
How does it compare today to when you were growing up in that church? I mean, can we be just honest with what's going on? Or if you were to stop for a moment and think about the churches over the last 30 years that have closed their doors. I mean, literally closed their doors. I can just name you Church of Christ after Church of Christ after Church of Christ after Church of Christ who, yeah, they closed last week. Yeah, they're closing, you know, here in a few months. Yeah, they closed a couple of years ago. I mean, churches of Christ are suffering the same fate that all the other religious Christian institutions in America are suffering. And we need to be honest about that. And you know, you turn over to the book of Revelation, and one of the things you find is that the early church suffered the same thing. They were going through a time of political upheaval in the time of John. I mean, I mean, the world had changed dramatically. Conflict was all over the place. Uh, uh, Rome was persecuting it. And Jesus writes to the seven churches of Asia through John, and he says, listen, you've got some problems. And there are problems that if we were just to step back and say, are we experiencing the same problems today? We'd have to say in some instances, absolutely. Here's the church at Ephesus, a church Paul had spent three years at, established. Timothy had been one of the ministers at. Here's what Jesus said about the church at Ephesus. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. I want you to think about the love you had when you first started dating your your future spouse. I mean, do you remember it? You know, uh, people know this who've been around me very much. June's the only girl I ever dated. And people say, why? Because she's the only one that ever said yes. <laughs> and I'm glad she did. But, but let me just tell you, when I think back, and, and you're like, so don't you love her more today than you did back then? Well, in some ways, absolutely. But then in some ways, it was a new experience for me. And I still remember, you know, the butterflies. I still remember the excitement. I mean, just, you know, the very fact. I, I remember holding her hand for the first time. And, and now we hold hands, we don't think about it, and, 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 and it's wonderful. But boy, that first time, you know, uh, wow. What an experience. And here's Jesus saying to the church at Ephesus, do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love with me? Do you remember what it was like when you came out of the waters of baptism? Do you remember what it was like when you were excited about your faith? That's what Jesus is asking us. He goes on to say, you need to change and you need to do the things you did at first. You need to go back to the way you acted. You know, for, for those who are in a marriage that's faltering, when was the last time you went on a date? Well, we, we haven't gone on a date in forever. Maybe that's the problem. Can you go back and do the things you did at first? Jesus thought it helped as far as church and the love we have for him. He goes on in chapter 3 to the church at Sardis. And notice what he says to this church. Wake up! Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Churches were dying then, they're dying today. That's a reality of faith. And yet we can do something about it. Notice, I found your deeds unfinished. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold fast and change. That word repent means simply change. The way you think, the way you act. And then, of course, you know this church. At least many of us do. Church of Laodicea. Of where Jesus says, I know your deeds, you're neither cold nor hot. 
What's happened in the church at Laodicea? And what's happened is what a lot of us, I mean, you know, a lot of us have bought new cars. New cars have got all these fancy dances. You know, you're on the interstate and you just hit it and it just drives itself. You know, you put uh, cruise control. Say that fast. Boy, that's hard. You put cruise control on and you now have it set so that if the vehicle in front of you slows down, you slow down. You know, June hates cruise control. You know, she'll tell me, I hate it. I just wish it wasn't on cars. And I'm like, why? And the answer is because I'm hopeful that that car will pass me before I run into the 18-wheeler, and then I want to switch lanes so I don't have to tap the brakes. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You're guilty of the same thing. And so you ladies are going, yes, they are. You know, I mean, churches sometimes put it on auto drive. We put it on cruise control. And we're no longer hot. We're no longer cold. We're just going that way. And Jesus is saying, listen, you got to quit saying, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need anything. I mean, I'm grateful for what we gave. I'm grateful to be a part of the church that's so generous. But I'm also aware of the fact that if we're not careful, we think that the answer to everything is money, when in reality, the answer is everything is your heart given to God fully, serving Him every day to make a difference in this community. I mean, that's what we've got to focus on. And so we've got to begin with this whole concept of change. Notice the way God's Word puts it. I correct and discipline everyone I love. Take this seriously. Change the way you think and act. And if there's a time to do it, it's the first Sunday of a new year. We need to do it individually. We need to do it as families. We need to do it as a church. And I hope that we will. Being intentional is about how you want to grow and develop so that you'll achieve those results you want. Now, I love Stephen Covey. I've been a fan. I know Blake's a fan of Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey's long since passed away, but he was one of the first self-help gurus, and, and he wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And habit number three, I think, is, is actually should be number one. He says, put first things first. He actually wrote a book entitled that after this book. Put first things first. And he went back and he recoined the phrase. And I like the way he said it. As my oldest son would say, and this astute observation of the obvious, uh, Rob would always say that at the house when I'd say, boy, look at the sky, how blue it is. And he'd say, yeah, that's an astute observation of the obvious, you know. But here's the way Covey put it in his second book. He said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, I know that seems redundant, but folks, that is what it's all about. Would you, would you read that phrase with me out loud? Let's read it together as a church. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, you need to ask, when it comes to our faith, what is the main thing? And I think the answer to that is Jesus' last words before ascending back to heaven. And you'll see why we've chosen this text here in just a few moments. But here's Jesus as Matthew's finishing his gospel, and, and he's told his apostles, he said, I want you after the resurrection, they don't understand that, to go to a mountain in Galilee, and there I'll meet with you. So notice how it begins. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then you get that promise that Jesus will be with us to the end of the world. Amen. I think what Jesus said last, and by the way, Mark has his version, Luke has his version. John, even though he ends differently, even has an incredibly condensed version we'll look at here in just a moment. But I think this is the main thing, that we need to make the main thing and keep the main thing. Now, when you look at it and break it down just a little bit, you see the essential elements for us doing that. He begins with the apostles coming up to the mountain. They see Jesus, and I want you to notice what they do. They worship him. They make him the very heart of who they are. The, the, the only thing that's going to save the Hendersonville Church of Christ is if we really do believe that we're the Hendersonville Church of Christ. We have got to keep Christ the central focus of everything that we are and do. We've got to do that. And I know it's a struggle in my own life personally. It's a struggle in the life of churches. But that's what we've got to do. That's the main thing that we've got to focus on. Now, notice some doubted. And there are always people struggling. You know, we encourage people to join the journey here at Hendersonville. No matter where you are, if you're an atheist but you want to explore God, join the journey. You're not sure about God, you're agnostic, join the journey. Struggle through the doubts with us. Because even though I've been a Christian for many, many decades, I still have doubts from time to time. I think we all do. Here are men who had been with Jesus three years, who are looking at the scars, the evidence of the resurrection, and they're still struggling with their faith. So doubts are not bad. But they focused on their worship. And then number two, Jesus said, it's all about authority. And Jesus pointed to himself and says, this is where it's at. All authority in heaven, all authority on earth, now belongs to me. Jesus, of course, is fulfilling a passage from Psalm 110, where David predicted that the Lord said to his Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. Most often quoted verse in the New Testament pointing to who Jesus is and to what he's doing right now. Now, it's easy to step back and to look at the world and say, boy, when I look at Ukraine, when I look at China, when I look at America, I mean, is Jesus really in charge? And the answer is absolutely. I mean, there have been times in all the history of God's people where they look at what's going on and the promises of Jesus and they go, Really? You're in charge? If you're in charge, why is it this happening? Remember dear old brother Abraham, Sarah, who God had promised you're going to have a child. And after a while, Sarah said, I don't think so. And says to Abraham, how about going into Hagar, my handmaiden, and we'll fix what God can't do. And you go back to the book of Genesis, and all God's saying the whole time is, trust me. Trust me. That's what Jesus is telling us right now. You go over to 1 Corinthians 15, and I love what Paul says. Then the end will come. The end's coming. And when it comes, notice, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, he's going to do it. And we've just got to simply wait and be part of the process. 
And he goes on to say everything will be brought under his feet, going all the way back to Psalm 110, with the exception, of course, of God the Father himself. And so we have got to trust that Jesus is in control. Therefore, since he's in control, he's going to make sure we succeed. And so he says, go and make disciples. Now, it's here that we need to fix something. Nearly every English translation translates this, therefore go, as an imperative. But that's not in the Greek. Rodney will tell you right fast. That's not what's going on there. Uh, the, the imperative is make disciples. That is a command of Jesus. Make disciples. But the go is not it. Because the problem with the go is that we look at it and we go, you know what? We need to send people. We need to send people to South America. We need to send people to Africa. We need to send people to the, you know, uh, uh, western part, northwestern part of the United States where, you know, not many believers are there. We need to send people. That's not what is meant by therefore go. A better translation is the ISV, therefore as you go. It's a part of simple. And it's the very point that Stan keeps repeating over and over and over again. I appreciate him doing that. When we walk out those doors, we are carrying the mission of Jesus with us. As you go to eat today, as you go to be with family today, as you go to watch a football game with friends today, as you go to work maybe tomorrow or Tuesday or back to school, as you go, and it's not just for preachers or missionaries or elders or Sunday school teachers, it's all of us. That's what Jesus is saying to us. As you go, disciple people in all the nations. That's the main thing that we've got to keep as the main thing. And of course, the end result is we baptize them. They make a decision. They go down into the waters in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we begin the process of maturing them as we continue the process of being matured. That's the main thing that we as a church has got to focus on. Timothy would hear it from Paul this way. What you've heard from me through many witnesses, entrust a faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Going back to Matthew 28, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the only way to change what's happening in America today. So many churches have got off their focus. They've gotten off their goal. Next Sunday, we're going to start a four-week series on the book of Jonah. And, and most of us, when we hear Jonah, we think, of course, the big fish. But the point of the book of Jonah is very different from a, a fish story. The point of, of the book of Jonah is about how God's people had lost their vision. They no longer remembered what God had called them to be. And Jonah ends up being, you know, you think of good old Jonah. Boy, what an incredible evangelist he was. You know, he wasn't at all. He's one of the most embarrassing prophets of the Old Testament. Because as an example of Israel, he had forgotten what God had called him to be. They no longer kept the main thing, the main thing, in, in their spiritual lives. And so we're going to begin moving that direction. Another reason we've chosen Matthew is because starting in February, we're going to begin working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. It's going to take us several months to get there. And what we're going to ask the church to do is very simple. We're going to ask all of you, let's read the book of Matthew together. Let's read one chapter a week. 
lot, right? One chapter a week. Maybe just read it every day. I mean, just read the same chapter, and then we'll take a story out of each of the chapters of Matthew and look at how Jesus kept the main thing as the main thing and how he challenges us to do the same thing. And then in the fall, we're going to talk about now how do we mature as followers of Jesus. I mean, there are stages of spiritual growth for us. Where are we at in those stages? And we'll talk about that, and I hope we challenge one another with it as we look at ways to reach out in this community and make a difference. And I hope this will create hope and engagement. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about creating a positive view of where we're going as a church, and I hope that you will be committed to it. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, again, writing to all the churches in Asia there. He says, can I tell you what the promise of Jesus is? He is in charge. He's at the right hand of God. And look at what he says. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. In other words, Paul says, Jesus is able to do more than we could ever even imagine doing. Mike challenged us to give, you know, the elders challenged us to give 200000 above. Wouldn't it be great one day that the elders come in, they said, now here's what we're asking from you. Would you give 200000 above the budget this month? And the next thing you know, the elders are saying, we gave a million above the budget. I mean, that God would come in and do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Why? Because Jesus' power is at work within us. Why? Because he wants to be glorified through the church. It's easy to put down the church. And yet at the same time, Paul says, don't put it down. It is how God's glory is revealed in the world. And we have got to be serious enough about it that we make sure that the people see the glory of God through the church. And then responsibility. Most New Year's resolutions impact others. Put very simple, and I I just want to throw this out, folks. Enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm. We have got to get excited, and when I get excited, when you get excited, we feed off one another, and it makes all the difference in the world because that's where inspiration comes from. Inspiration to do what God has challenged us to do, to seek to be better, to do better, to contribute more fully. Put very simple in the words of Jesus in John's gospel, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Now go. And as you go, this is a new theme this year. As you go, can I challenge you this year to examine yourself? Let your family examine itself. Number two, to pray for this church. Make it a part of your daily prayer, the leadership, the membership, the efforts that we're trying to make in this community. Number three, pray for the lost in our city, in our community, not just Hendersonville, but Sumner County, North Davidson County. Let's pray for those who are lost. And and then start reading the book of Jonah. This week, go to chapter one. Just read chapter one as we prepare for next week. And then finally, make a commitment. Commitment as an individual and as a family to make the main thing the main thing in 2023. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're asking you to do this year. As we go, let's make a difference. And let's begin today. And if there's a need that you have that we can assist with, we'd be happy to do it right now as together we stand.